the lyric of that song we just sang, Knowing You. To possess by faith what I could not earn. And what was it that we had to accept by faith? What was it that we could not earn? The all-surpassing gift of righteousness. Because that is granted and given by God Himself. You cannot earn it. You cannot do enough good deeds. And this is much of what Paul was dealing with and has been dealing with so far in the book of Romans. So let's go once again, Romans, the third chapter. Uh, we had looked last week at verses 1 and 2, but let's read them again and, and join in down through verse 8 today. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to His glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. Let's pray once again. Oh, Heavenly Father, just what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us, and, and always, and most importantly, who we are not, make us. For Christ's sake and in His name we pray, Amen. Now, let's remember, and, and, and I don't know how often I'm going to continue kind of reflecting back for just a little bit. But let us remember that the Apostle Paul has been laying the foundation to present the truth that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, both Jew and Gentile. And that apart from receiving by faith the gospel of Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile are sinful and under the wrath and condemnation of God. There is no partiality with God. And that's what he's been dealing with. And, and he's, he's, has begun answering the objections that would come with this message, with this proclamation. And, and I'm quite certain, as we talked about last week, that Paul knew of the objections that he had already been facing. Because He'd been going, he'd been preaching, he'd been teaching, he'd been going into the, the temple, into the synagogues, evangelizing. And last week we read of the time that Paul was in the temple and the crowd laid hands on him to kill him. Let's just read one verse of that in Acts 21, verse 28. They had laid hands on him to kill him and they were crying out, Men of Israel, help! Let me pause there for a minute. It's as though... There's this horrible criminal in their midst. Do you, you, you get that? It's like if we were out somewhere and we see a crime being done and we need to stop the perpetrator and we may be yelling for help, 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 come help. You see how stirred up they were. Men of Israel, help. This is the man, Paul. This is, this is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, against the covenant people, against us. And against the law. 
and this place. And furthermore, he has brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. They hated him. You think he knew their objections? Yeah, he knew. He'd already been exposed to it. And so that's why he can write the way he is writing in the book of Romans, where it seems like he's having this back and forth with an invisible person almost. That's why he can have that, because he's already heard the objections and he's going to answer them before they can ask. Or even as they're they're reading the letter and as they're thinking about what they would like to say. He is already answering those objections. Because Paul was often under the sentence of death. And as I pointed out last week, Paul knew the objections because they were once his objections. Until the Damascus Road experience, that was Paul. That was, that was Paul. He himself would have, would have had the same objections when confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he had himself that he could go back to. The things I once held dear, built my life upon, you see. And so here's the Jews. And remember, they, they would want to argue with Paul, but, but, but our race, our, our, our heritage, our lineage, we're, we're descendants of Abraham. So don't say that we're like the Gentiles. We, our father Abraham. And we bear the mark of the covenant on our bodies in circumcision. We have the mark of the covenant. And we, Paul, we alone received the law. Written by God's own finger, it was to us that He gave it. That He entrusted it to. So, so Paul, don't, don't say we're, we're like the Gentiles. But Paul pointed out, oh, you may possess the law, but you are not keeping the law. You are lawbreakers. And he would also say that the name of God had been blasphemed among the Gentiles because of their sinfulness. And then it's as though Paul wanted to crush any remaining security that the Jew might have been clinging on to. Uh, Romans 2, verse 28 and 29. Here's the crushing blow. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. You see, yes, they were descendants of Abraham. Yes, they had been given the law of Moses. Yes, they bore the mark or sign of the covenant by physical circumcision. But I'll ask it again, but what was missing? The Spirit. The Spirit. The circumcision of the heart wrought by the Spirit. That is what was missing. And so then in chapter 3, Paul takes on the next objection and, and then the, the next objection was this. Uh, we, re, we read it there. Well, well Paul, if, if this is all the case, then what was the point of us being a Jew? Paul, if this was the case, what was, what was all of our Scripture, what, our prophets, what, what was all that about? If there's no difference, if there's no advantage. And Paul says then in verse 2, Romans 3, verse 2, when asked, what advantage then, Paul, has the Jew? What was the profit of any of it? And Paul says, much, much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. And, and, and last week we read from Romans 9. I want to do it one more time. Romans 9, verses 3 through 5. Paul expounds upon this advantage that the Jews had. Romans 9, verses 3 through 5. 
for I, w- for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all an eternal, eternally blessed God. Amen. So I, I love it when it seems like Paul gets worked up in the middle of his letter and he gets thinking about all of this. From whom... According to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternal blessed God. Amen. Were there advantages to being a Jew? Yes. Much in every way. Adopted as God's children, they witnessed the glory of God from Mount Sinai, and the glory of God had led them by day and by night. The glory of God was in the midst of their holy places. They had received the covenants, the law, and the promises. They had been called to service of God through the priests and the prophets. Theirs were the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And theirs was the physical lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It was overall the eternally blessed God. Amen. But chiefly, Paul said back in verse 2, Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. You you see, they had the very words of the prophet who was telling them of the coming Messiah. They had it. And yet they rejected Christ when He came. They had great advantage, but they rejected it. They had the law written by God's own finger that should have convicted them as lawbreakers and led them to repentance. But it didn't. Because Paul said, well, what's the law then? Well, does the law still have purpose? Yes, the law was the tutor that brought me to Christ. I would not have known sin had the law not said, thou shalt not covet. It, it, It convicts. And so the Jews had that. Great advantage. And now this brings us to verse 3 in Romans 3. For what if some did not believe? Now I'm going to pause there. (laughs) See, Paul is very courteous and diplomatic, isn't he? By saying some. You understand, he does this quite often. Paul is wonderful. And and such a wordsmith. And such a... Can I say debater? Can I say that? Uh, That's not the right word. But, but, But when objection comes, he has the answer. He knows the right avenue to take. You see, yes, a great teacher. And he says some when we know the actual fact is that the vast majority, the vast majority had not believed and that that there was a very small remnant that did. And and Paul will point this detail out when we get to chapter 11. Because there, you'll remember in chapter 11, remember Elijah, and he was kind of having that pity party. I'm all alone. I'm the last one. Remember that? And so he's kind of having this party, pity party. And but what did what did God say to him, or what did God reveal to him? No, no, you're not. I have reserved for myself how many? Seven thousand. I've reserved for myself seven thousand men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. There will always, always be a remnant. There will always be a remnant. Uh, Paul, in, in, here, one verse from Romans 11, verse 5. Romans 11, 5. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So even at this time, as Paul is writing this letter, as all this going out, there is yet a remnant of true Jews 
And you understand what I mean when I say that, correct? Who have received not physical circumcision, but the circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. Always there will be a remnant. So that now back to verse 3. Put verse 3 back up. Romans 3, verse 3. For what if some did not believe, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Now, I, I want to read ESV. Because even as I was reading uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, ESV wasn't even out yet. And, and he said, uh, he, he was reading King James Version. And he said, perhaps a better translation of this would be and it just so happened to match with ESV. And so ESV, does this make it a little more palatable to the American ear and our English? What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? What if some, and again, there were many, who were unfaithful. Well, does their faithlessness nullify, make void the faithfulness of God? Will their lack of faith, their unfaithfulness, make the faithfulness of God without effect? Does their faithful unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? And then Paul gives the emphatic answer in verse 4, Certainly not. ESV says, by no means. NESB, may it never be. You, you, you see, that this is a ridiculous statement for anyone to make. You, you understand that, correct? It, it's an impossible suggestion. It's unthinkable. God cannot be unfaithful to His Word and His promises or in, in, in any other way. He is a God who cannot lie. Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. Pause there for a moment. See, God's faithfulness and God's justice are absolutes. There's no getting around it. Well, people can try. There's no getting around, around that God's faithfulness and God's justice are absolute. If all of mankind would utterly fail, God's faithfulness, God's righteousness, and God's purposes will always be true and right. Always. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Now, what, what did Paul just do? Where did he go? He, he went to the psalmist. He went to Psalms 51. That, that in quotation marks right there, he is going back and giving, uh, I don't want to say a paraphrase, but he's giving a portion of what David had written. Remember, David had committed this this terrible sin in regard to Bathsheba and in the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And then, remember, remember David's attitude just immediately after that? He just went on like, like all is well. But God visited him through the prophet Nathan. Remember the story. We're not going to go read it. You can go pick it all back up. And God dealt severely with David. Go read the story. God dealt severely with David. And at last, it's as though David's eyes were open to the actual truth of what he'd done. And in his brokenness, he wrote in verse 4 of Psalms 51, Verse 4, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless 
when you judge. See, God will be blameless when He judges. He will judge without prejudice. He will judge without partiality. He will judge according to truth. All that God speaks will be just and right. Indeed, let God be true, though everyone were found a liar. Do you, do you get it? One writer stated it this way, not that the failure of the Jews has brought God's purpose to nothing, but rather that in spite of that failure, God's purpose still goes on. That's good. That, that's Can anything thwart the hand of God? No, no, no. Um, Job 42, verse 2. In the New King James, I know that you can do everything. Job, conversation with God. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Now, the ESV right under it. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted, can be upset, can be frustrated. Proverbs 21, verse 30, and we're just going to read it from the ESV. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. Regardless of what men may say, to, to try to justify themselves, let God be true and everyone found a liar who would try to come against God and His plans and His purposes. God's purposes, plans, and judgments are always true and perfect, and nothing, absolutely nothing, can change the purposes of God. Amen? Paul then addresses the next argument or objection. Let's go into Romans 3, verse 5. But if our unrighteousness, now, now this would be the Jew that's making the argument, so keep in mind of who's, who's, who's talking here, or presumably talking. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, now the ESV says, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I, I speak as a man. Now, now those words are in parentheses, but, but they were in there. You know, Paul wrote that. And that wasn't a translator that put that in there. Paul wrote that. Now, can you sort out the argument? Now, now stay with me. Okay, stay with me. Stay with me. Here's the argument. But Paul, <laughs> because th th this, is, this is nuts that this would be the argument, but here's the argument. But Paul, if our failure, if our sin, our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God or, or serves to show the righteousness of God, then, Paul, in a, in a way, we have contributed to His majesty his greatness and His glory, so, so, what right does He have in punishing us by inflicting wrath? Is God unjust? Do you see? But if our unrighteousness demonstrates His righteousness, if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, well, come on, Paul. We're just making Him more glorious. And how could he punish us for that? And then Paul adds that, I speak as a man. Well, what did Paul mean when he added that, I speak as a man? Well, I believe he is saying that this is the way the natural man thinks. That this is the way the natural man argues. These are the words that a natural man would speak. No spirit, no spirit do unbelievers yet today argue and debate in the same way with the same kind of logic? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, they do. 
when, when confronted with the truth of God's Word, here we go. You better hang on. Learn from Paul. Learn from Paul of how to deal with such situations. L- listen to what Peter says, Second Peter, third chapter, 14 through 16. Therefore, brethren, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to the him, given to him has written to you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, and which are some things hard to understand, difficult to interpret it, we would all say, yeah, so yeah, you got to dig. you got to dig sometimes with the writings of Paul. And which are some things hard to understand, which, now listen, untaught and unstable people twist to their own, what's it say? Destruction as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. That's what Paul was dealing with. That's what we deal with yet today. Untaught, unstable, trying to take the message of the Gospel of Christ, the truth of God's Word, and they will twist it. But what will be the ultimate end? Destruction. So now let's go back to Romans 3, uh, verse, verses 5 and 6 again. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. And then Paul gives the answer in verse 6, certainly not. See, there's that emphatic statement again. May it never be, it cannot be, ever And then he adds this, For then how will God judge the world? Why did he throw that in there? Now stay with me. Why did he put that in there? This was aimed right at the Jews. This was aimed right at the Jews. For then how will God judge the world? Paul is covering it all. He's saying, look, you can't have it both ways. That's what he's saying. You can't have it both ways. Uh, You see, because they believed, the Jews believed in a final judgment. They did. They believed that God was going to judge the world in righteousness, but what they believed was was that they were okay. Because of their heritage, their circumcision, and their possessing the law. See, everything everything we've been talking about, because of all all of those things, they would not be judged. This judgment would only be for the lawless Gentiles. Do you see that? The world would, would be judged because of sin, but not them. And Paul says, look, if you believe that you shouldn't be judged because your unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, then why would you expect God to judge the Gentiles for their unrighteousness? You, do you see it? Can't have it both ways. Because you're doing the exact same thing that you want forgiveness for to be passed over, but you want the Gentiles to be judged for that very thing. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And then, because if that is right, then God will not be able to judge anyone at the end of the world. And that's that. For uh, then, how will God judge the world? Well, He can't. If that's your logic. And that's what Paul is saying. And then Paul goes on in, in verse 7. Are we okay? Right there? Verse 7. Verse 7. Paul puts it in, into a more personal, personable form. In verse 7. For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to His glory. See, it's that, it's that, same, that same logic again. It, it, if... If, if the truth of God has increased because of my sin, because of my unrighteousness, because of my lie, and it's all to His glory, then why, why am I still judged as a sinner? And it's, it's that same arg- argument again, but He brings it down to the individual. Through my, my, through my lie. 
if my sin has made the truth of God to increase, to stand out more abundantly, to make Him more glorious, then why am I still judged as a sinner? And to, and to such logic, then Paul says in verse 8, let's put up verse 8, and why not say, <laughs> Paul is great. So he gives them, he said, it's like he's saying, look, don't, don't stop here. Don't stop there. Here's what you should have said. Here's what you should have said. Let us do evil that good may come. Because there's the circle reasoning, right? Let's just, so, so if, if my unrighteousness shows the righteousness of God, then, hey, I'll help God out. I'll continue to do evil that good may come. Let's just keep on sinning. Keep being evil. And it will serve to show the righteousness of God. It will make God more glorious. Well, we know Paul's going to knock this down in chapter 6. First two verses of chapter 6. Let's go ahead and jump over there and just read that. And you know, he said, he's, he's put it this way several different times throughout his writings. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? See, he's still dealing with it over in chapter 6. Keep on sinning that the grace of God may be made manifold and evident. Shall we continue in sin that grace may be abound? And there's that emphatic statement Paul over and over in his writings kept making these little emphatic statements to get their attention. Certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? See, people were misunderstanding. <laughs> That's putting it mildly, isn't it? They were misunderstanding what Paul was saying. Romans 3, put verse 7 and 8 back up. For, if the truth of God has increased through my lie to His glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, See that, that Paul is saying that, that these people are twisting my, our words, and, and it's to their it's to their own destruction, as Peter had said. Paul is saying he's being slandered for things that he is not saying, and then he makes the very pointed statement: their condemnation is just. That's powerful, right there. Because we should have compassion for the lost, you see. For those who are on the outside. For those who are under the wrath and condemnation of God. Because apart from the righteousness of God, apart from belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, they don't have a leg to stand on. They don't have an argument that will hold water. And they're condemnation is just. I believe Paul is saying that anyone who can say, let us do evil that good may abound, or let us sin that grace may, be, may abound, has no defense whatsoever. They are spiritually and morally bankrupt. And their condemnation will be just. Let God be true, just, and holy, and every man, every unbeliever, every sinner to be made known a liar. One day, sin came into the world. And now, through that, all have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. But one day, grace came. <laughs> the rescue for sinners. Forgiveness and redemption through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Let's read another passage from Romans. Romans 5, verses 19 through 21. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Who, who's that one man? Adam. First man, Adam. 
So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Who's this? The second man, Adam, Jesus. What was his obedience? To do the Father's will. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense may abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Moreover, the law entered that the offense may abound. What's this saying? It's what I talked about earlier when Paul said, How would I have known sin unless the law had told me, Thou shalt not covet? The law came so that the offense might be revealed, made manifest. You understand that? Does law still have a purpose? Yes. The law entered that the offense, that the sin, that our unrighteousness might be revealed and that grace may abound. And so I would ask this morning, do you truly know the grace of God? Has the Spirit of God made His Word alive in you? Has it become truth in the inward man, in the heart? Do you believe under the salvation of your soul? Let's continue with Romans. Let's read that Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. You, you see what Paul is keeping. This is, this is what Paul is building to. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, in your heart, in your heart, a circumcision of the heart, spiritual, wrought by the hand of God. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from wrath. Saved from condemnation. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him, on the Lord Jesus Christ, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction. Paul keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek or Gentile. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, both Jew and Gentile. It's the same message throughout, isn't it? Same message throughout. By faith unto salvation do we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see... Let's go back to Romans 1. Let, let, let's read this. Let's keep reminding ourselves. Oh, may, may the book of Romans be embedded in our memories. And we can go and, and we can use the words of Paul to combat lies when they come at us. From, from the unlearned and, and how was that put? And unstable. The, the unlearned and the unstable. Because you're going to run into them. And so let us learn. Let us learn. Let us learn how to deal with that. In Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. See, this, this, was, this was after the introduction. This was just getting started. This is the great theme of the whole book of Romans right here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to self. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. Is there priority with the Jew? Remember, we, we preached that. That <laughs> might have been a year ago now. I don't remember. Yeah. 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 To them first. But also when you keep reading, judgment and condemnation and wrath first as well. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith 
as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I love that. For, for those who believe the message of the cross, it becomes for them the power of God unto salvation. But for those who do not believe, I want to read it again. For those who are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, what will it be? Romans 2, verses 8 and 9. What, what's awaiting them? But, for, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. Now they get priority both ways. Whether it's a blessing or whether it's tribulation and anguish. John 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. The wrath of God abides on him. You see, Jesus died for our sins on the cross to take upon himself the penalty for sin, to take upon himself the wrath of God to secure eternal life for all who believe. Wrath for the unbeliever, but blood-bought mercy for the believer in Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. One more from Romans. Romans 3, verse 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. In Jesus. See, there, there's that again about the, that God may be just. He is just. Let God be true and every, and every, and every man be made a liar because the absolutes are God is just. He is just. All who by faith truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ will be saved from wrath. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give You thanks for Your Word. And, and I pray, Lord, that, that Your truth has gone out today, that, that Your Word has been made clear. Lord, Lord, I understand that, that between the speaking and the hearing, sometimes a lot can happen. And so, Father, we just have to trust that, that in the hearing, Truth was made real. And Lord, any fault in the speaking, I will take credit for that. So Lord, help us that, that we might learn more of You, of Your goodness, Your mercy, Your righteousness, Your holiness, Your justice. And Father, help us to be able to confer that to others to have conversations that we can present it not, not with our... With, Lord, that it would be with the ability that You supply. Not that we're out to try to be a great debater and win arguments and all of that, but let Your Word be true. And let everyone who would stand against Your truth be made known a liar. Let their own words convict them. 
and catch them and reveal to them the ridiculousness of their argument. So Lord, help us. And Father, again, should there should there be one who would listen to this sermon and, and is yet lost, oh Father, by, by the truth of Your Word and by the power of Your Spirit, open their eyes to see You, to see Your glory. Let the light of Christ shine into a dark place, revealing sin, and then that that, that that one might see their sinfulness, that they are a sinner under your wrath and condemnation, and they would tremble before you. And then, Lord, remind them and show them of the rescue of the cross of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, grant them faith that they might believe. And, Lord, grant them repentance as as they would confess their sin to You, as they would repent in believing and turn from their sin and follow You. So Lord, we need You. Every hour, we need You. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, here's what I want to do. Last week, I asked the question, does God put conditions upon His promises? Remember that question if you were here? And I responded, yes, He does. And then we read that if-then passage from Exodus 19. If we could put that up, Exodus 19, Chase. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Now, I need to clarify something. uh, That God did indeed put conditions on most of His promises. But not on all. And so if I gave the impression that it was all, then forgive me. Because it's not all. Uh, and that, that, that was not my intention for it to come out as, you know, as I thought about it. Well, it, it, it seemed, I seemed to give the impression that all of his promises have condition. But, but there are a few, and it is a few, unconditional promises found in the Word of God. The big one, Genesis 12. Let's read it. First three verses. See if you find a condition in here. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to make a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. No conditions. Well, he's got to get out. He's, he's, he's got to go. So, so, so if you want to call that a condition, then yeah. Because he has, he has to be faithful to get out. And so, so his is to go. But then everything that follows, there, there's no, there's, there's nothing like from Exodus. Yeah, with the if and the then, this is unconditional. And I just wanted to say that um, because it seems to me no conditions. Yes, he had to get out, so he had to be obedient to that. But this is God's promise and decree, which has and will continue to come to pass. Now. Do I know all about eschatology and how all this will come together? No, I don't. And you don't either. Okay? Now we can have our thoughts and our ideas of how all this will come to pass. But it, but it seems to me, here I'll do this, I'll do this. It seems to me that for this dispensation, can I use that word? For this time, 
God has set aside this promise. All have sinned. There's no distinction that in this, if I can say it, dispensation, the only way to God the Father, and, and always will always be, the only way to God the Father is Jesus Christ. But is there something more that's coming down the road when this dispensation, when the last Gentile has come to faith, is there something that God's going to do for the Jews? Perhaps. But, but I do know this, that whatever He does, it will always be based on the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Because and, and how can I say that? Well, listen to this. In, in one more verse. Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the Spirit of grace and supplication. God's going to do something. And it's going to be according to what? Grace. It's going to be according to grace. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Who's this talking about? Jesus. And how are they able to look upon Him whom they pierced? Grace. Yes, they will mourn for Him as one mourns for His only Son. Oh my goodness, why didn't I see that? What have we done? What have we done? What have we done to the Messiah that God the Father promised us and sent to us? What have we done? Yes, they will mourn for Him as one mourns for His only Son and grieve for Him as one grieves for a firstborn. Is there more to come? Yeah, there's more to come. Do I understand it all? No, I don't. But but I just wanted to say that because I didn't want... There was there was a couple of others I didn't put them down, uh, but but you know we can have a conversation about this uh, later. We got some time this afternoon even we can have some conversation. But but it just seems to me that according to the Word of God, there's more coming. And when we get into Romans nine, ten, eleven, I'm sure we're going to be talking about this some more.